Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Good morning. My name is Dr. Dan Petrolak from the Smilo Cancer Center at Yale University. And I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Matthew Smith from Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. And we're here today to discuss some of the exciting findings at the ASCO GU meet. Uh, we'd like to focus on this morning uh, on the uh, treatment of hormone-sensitive disease. And Matt, what are some of the exciting abstracts that uh, were presented at this year's ASCO GU meeting uh, in hormone-sensitive ca- prostate cancer? Yeah, th- thanks for the opportunity to comment. Yeah, the, well, the big presentation at ASCO GU is Aerosense. So Aerosense is a global randomized phase three trial of darolutamide in combination with ADT and docetaxel in in patients with metastatic hormone-sensitive prostate cancer. The key things about that study is it was designed soon after the positive results of Stampede and Charted showing an improvement in OS uh, with the addition of docetaxel to ADT. And accordingly, the control arm for Aerosense was ADT and docetaxel. It began enrolling patients in 2016, and and as you know, that was before the first report that any AR pathway inhibitor improved outcomes in MHSPC. So big undertaking, 286 centers in 23 countries, more than 1,300 patients. Within uh, 12 weeks of starting standard ADT, patients were randomized to darolutamide or placebo, and then within six weeks of randomization, patients in both groups were treated with docetaxel for six cycles. The primary endpoint was overall survival, and then there was, as you'd expect, a number of key secondary endpoints. Clearly positive trial with a large improvement in overall survival. Darolutamide reduced the risk of death by 32.5% compared to the placebo group. Um, The median overall survival was 48 months in the control group and not yet reached in the darolutamide group. Uh, and it, uh, the four-year overall survival rate was 50.4% with the placebo and 62% um, in the darolutamide group. So really quite a, a large treatment effect uh, hazard ratio is 0.68. So the magnitude of the benefit was as great as what was seen by any individual agent in prior, prior studies in MHSPC. I think it's interesting to point that out because when you look at the stampede data, uh, of abiraterone plus, plus prednisolone, excuse me, uh, versus uh, placebo in hormone-naive prostate cancer. At four years, the survival is 65%. So it seems to be in line with some of the other data that's been presented. So it really uh, asks the question whether we really do need docetaxel in the treatment regimen. It, it is an intriguing sort of, of course, the study wasn't designed to ask that. You know, our, our results are consistent with the docetaxel subgroup of PEACE-1, which showed the addition of abiraterone to ADT docetaxel improved survival. There, the hazard ratio is about 0.75 in that control group. But sort of unexpectedly, the, the big question that's raised is, you know, do we really need docetaxel? And I think that it is an open question. And there was some interesting data presented at uh, ASCO-GU. It's, a, you know, exploratory for, for sure. But, um, but I think it, the, the key takeaways from Aerosense and to the same extent from the docetaxel subgroup of PEACE-1, if you're going to treat a patient with ADT docetaxel, it's very clear you should be adding a third drug, an AR pathway inhibitor, in this case, either Abby or darolutamide. Um, the more challenging question, though, is for patients, particularly with poor prognosis, is 
do you need a doublet of ADT and an AR pathway inhibitor or the triplet with the addition of docetaxel? Now, candidly, the way the study was designed, both studies were designed in certainly AirSense, is you began with ADT and darolutamide and then added docetaxel later. So I could envision in the clinic, as you're getting started, particularly patients with de novo metastatic disease, you're going to do you know, ADT AR pathway inhibitor. And then as you get to know the patient uh, in, the, in, the, in the weeks or few months that follow, make the decision about whether, an appropriate, whether they are an appropriate candidate for docetaxel. It's certainly making the discussion with the patient at the initiation of hormone therapy, much, much more complex. In fact, what I actually do is I introduce the concepts right at the beginning when we first undergo androgen deprivation therapy, review the different side effects and um, toxicity profiles of uh, each of the individual antiandrogens, also discuss chemotherapy in the PEACE-1 trial. So that generally takes several visits. And, and I think the, the way these trials were designed where they administer these treatments within the first three months of therapy, not necessarily right, right off the bat, uh, allows the clinician now to uh, have that chance to discuss with patients exactly which treatment they're going to undergo. And it's, it is a complex discussion. I agree. And I think the way we, and I like the way you describe that, because I think the way we need to approach this with patients is they don't need to know all the prior history, right? They don't need to know decades of history. When, you know, in the old days, we used to give ADT alone, and now we're going to have this conversation like, should we intensify therapy? I mean, the data is so consistent and clear for the addition of an AR pathway inhibitor. What I've adopted is, is much like you have, which is introducing that early in the conversation to say, here is your foundational treatment. You're, you're going to, we're going to get, you're going to start with this injection. It's going to lower your testosterone, and we're going to add this other drug. That's the foundation of your treatment. And then, you know, based on the results of these newer trials, the question will become, uh, particularly for de novo high volume patients, is should we also add docetaxel? And, and you know, I also try to design the treatment regimen for the patient based upon the side effect pattern each individual drug. And the unfortunate part about Aerosense is the fact that you're wedding uh, darolutamide to docetaxel in this trial. So then you know the trials that are out there right now that are looking at the question of darolutamide alone in this situation. There are a couple of ongoing trials looking at that with, you know, and other, there are other ongoing randomized trials that are looking at a comparison of ADT, ADT, darolutamide. Uh, those won't read out for a couple of years. So we will have that information. But um, I take this, um, I realize the control arm is ADT docetaxel, but I really just take this as additional evidence for the importance of an AR pathway inhibitor. And my takeaway, my personal takeaway, is I have no concern at all about using darolutamide in combination with ADT in appropriate patients. Neither than I. And there are certainly advantages of darolutamide, particularly the fact that it does not cross the blood-brain barrier to the same degree as the other antiandrogens. And, and we really saw that in the safety data from Aerosense. It was, it was really quite striking. You know, there was really no, no difference in adverse events between placebo and darolutamide for you know any adver- treatment at emergent adverse events, serious adverse events, adverse events leading to discontinuation. And then if you even looked at the AEs of special interest, once you control for exposure, there's really no difference between um, darolutamide and placebo. So very, very consistent with the favorable safety profile that had p- been previously reported in Aramis in uh, non-metastatic CRPC. Terrific, Matt. Any, any closing thoughts on hormone sensitive disease at the ASCO unit. Yeah, I think this just adds to the continued drumbeat and consistent data of, about the 
impact, uh, favorable impact of AR pathway inhibition and metastatic hormone sensitive disease. We really need to get away from ADT alone. Most patients with MHSBC should not be treated with ADT alone. Um, and then it also raises this important issue about the potential role of triplet therapy, particularly in those patients uh, with poor prognosis disease. So one of the, uh, interesting abstract that I found uh, important to um, the overall health of patients with castration-sensitive prostate cancer is a presentation by Dr. Rabode about bone mineral density uh, in men with de novo metastatic prostate cancer. And what they found in this is that abiraterone uh, did not seem to have the effect on bone that we would have thought. And there wasn't a big difference in the loss of bone mineral density of abiraterone versus just simply androgen deprivation therapy. I know you're, you're really one of the world's experts on bone disease, bone effects of, of prostate cancer. What did you think about that abstract? I think that the concept that they're attempting to address is important. It's cha technically challenging, so my answer will be a little mundane in that it's very difficult to reliably measure bone density in patients with bone metastases because bone metastases from prostate cancer are osteoblastic, they're, they're dense. And so if you're measuring BMD, particularly total BMD in uh, patients with metastatic prostate cancer, you, your measurements may not reflect the impact of treatment on normal bone, but also on bone metastases. So it's, it's, a, it's a little bit uh, difficult to interpret for that reason. It's almost a chicken and egg argument because if you actually took the normal bone and measured the density there, is that reflective of what's going on in the cancer itself? But, right, exactly, yeah. Now, we, we really don't have a good way to measure bone density in those patients who have uh, documented metastatic disease. And although I do uh, routinely measure bone density in those patients who are on androgen deprivation therapy for non-metastatic disease because I think it's important to measure that and then, of course, act if they do have significant osteopenia or osteoporosis. And in a way, that, 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 uh, the issues that you raise there are, are totally okay because patients with bone metastases, it's disease-related skeletal complications that dominate the right. clinical picture. And patients without bone metastases, it's treatment-related osteoporosis and, exactly. and fractures that dominate the clinical picture. So the, the therapeutic intention is the same, is to reduce skeletal morbidity, but you're dealing with sort of two parallel problems. In, um, Matt, great as always talking with you, and thank you for your really insightful analysis of these particular trials. Thank you. Great to speak with you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, Go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.